Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. It is great to, to be able to worship alongside you on uh, this beautiful Sunday in September. And grateful as well to uh, Reverend Carson Ryan, who is again assisting in our liturgy leadership uh, today. Uh, before we go any further in the service of worship, I would invite you to stand where you are and just take a moment to, to say hello to a few folks around you. invite you to, to begin finding your seats once more and let us together prepare ourselves to worship the living God who abides with us.
Welcome to the live broadcast of a service for the worship of God, which is coming to you from the sanctuary of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia. We are exceedingly glad in it. God calls us to worship, to worship the triune God. So let us call ourselves to worship as we stand and join in the call to worship that's in your bullets. This is a call to all those who are poor in spirit. This is a call to all those who mourn. This is a call to all those who are meek. This is a call to all those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is a call to all those who are the merciful. This is a call to all those who are the pure in heart. This is a call to all those who are peacemakers. This is a call to all those who are persecuted because of righteousness. This is a call to those Jesus calls the salt and the light of the world. Once again, welcome to the live broadcast of a service for the worship of God, which is coming to you from the sanctuary of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church at 1627 Monument Avenue in Richmond, Virginia. This is the 96th year of radio ministry at Grace Covenant. Today's date is September the 15th, 2019, and today's broadcast is number 4,959. The Reverend Dr. Robert Holm Lippert is our pastor. This morning's sermon, entitled The Heart of the Matter, will be delivered by Reverend Dr. Holm Lippert. Assisting in the service today are Christopher Martin, our Director of Music and Organist, the Chancel Choir, and H. Carson Ryan, Jr., former Executive Presbyter of the Presbytery of the James. Our church is handicapped accessible with an elevator, wheelchairs, hearing assistance, and large print bulletins and hymnals. Child care is provided for infants, toddlers, and kindergartners. Worship kits are available for older children at the entrance to the sanctuary. Our opening hymn is Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise, which is number 263 in the Presbyterian hymnal.
people wonder why we have a prayer of confession every week. Because we're pretty good people. And so why do we have to admit that there's something wrong with us? Prayer of confession helps us to realize who we really are and allows us to see who we can become. So let's claim the promise that God gives us that if we confess our sins, God is more than ready to forgive us and actually make us into new people. Join with me in our prayer of confession for this day. Loving God, you call us to be salt and light in this world, yet too often we let our lives be controlled by urgent tasks, anxious thoughts, and selfish pursuits. We fail to guard our hearts and so become consumed with the same angers, lust, and greeds we see around us. Forgive us, cleanse us, by your grace, may we be vitalizing salt and courageous light in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In Jesus Christ, we need not be anxious and need not worry about what we came to church worrying about. Believe the good news of the gospel that in Jesus Christ, our sin is forgiven and our life is new and different because of what Christ did on the cross at Calvary. Amen. You may be seated, and I will invite any of our children who are second graders or younger who want to come forward and join uh, Miss Jess Reevely at the door. You all can head out together for Children's Pat Chapel, and, and parents, you can pick up your children in room 102 after the service. Let us pray. Gracious God, remove the clutter from our minds, open our hearts, allow us to be receptive to this, your word, so that it might touch us, convict us, and give us new life. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 51, verses 15 through 17. Psalm 51 was supposedly written by David as what's called a penitential psalm. That is, he was trying to make up for those things that he did with Bathsheba. 
which were not exactly the most up-becoming things one could do in life. And so he wrote Psalm 51 asking for forgiveness and for a new life. So listen now to God's word, Psalm 51, verses 15 through 17. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou hast no delight in sacrifice. Were I to offer a burnt offering, thou would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week we were in Matthew chapter 4 as we looked at Jesus calling the disciples to follow me, to train under him. They the students, he the teacher. And this week we continue in the gospel of Matthew into chapter 5 and where Jesus' teachings begin. Like chapters 5 through 7 comprise what we call the Sermon on the Mount, some of Jesus' most famous teachings. The sermon begins with uh, what we know as the Beatitude, which we read uh, by way of the call of worship just a moment ago in the service. It continues, as Jesus tells his followers, you are the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. You bring out the flavor of this world. You preserve this world. You are salt. You illumine in your lives truth, beauty, goodness. You illumine me unto this world. And then from there, Jesus starts this pivot to name very practically what salt and light people look like in this world. Our passage today is the very beginning of how Jesus articulates what it means to live as as these salt and light people whose lives bring out flavor, enhance, preserve, illumine, warm. In particular, Jesus focuses on four moral arenas right off the bat. Hear now the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 5, verses 20 through 37. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard, it's that, you've heard that it was said in those ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So so when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to the court with him or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell." It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, anyone who divorces his wife except on ground of unchastity 
causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard it said that in those ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is in the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was checking out at the grocery store in downtown Asheville, North Carolina on the first day of our arrival there where we spent about a month's worth of time in the sabbatical. And given that I was stocking up for the very first time and really for the whole week ahead, it was a good load of groceries. As the cashier finished ringing everything up, she looked at me without a single trace of irony. Will you need a bag? I am certain my eyes glanced over at the significant pile of groceries that had just been scanned and with a look said, my gosh, how else does one get all of the groceries out of here? But then my eyes caught her eyes and her eyes were speaking too. And they seemed to be saying, who in God's green earth goes into a grocery store in the heart of Asheville, North Carolina without reusable grocery bags? And I could feel that was the sense of her eyes because the truth is everyone behind me in line had reusable grocery bags. The people I'd noticed shopping in the grocery store had reusable grocery bags. Certainly folks use reusable grocery bags in Richmond. We have them. I try to remember and use them. But but I I would learn in my month there that the people of Asheville, it is deeply embedded in a broad way to care for God's creation and to want to guard against any sort of waste like excess bags. And so, yes, I did. I felt mildly uncomfortable rolling my shopping cart with with these grocery bags in a crowded lot of people, and they're reusable grocery bags. So two things come out of this incident. I got a reusable grocery bag and used it religiously. And two, religiously is the right word. Because the second thing that came out of this incident, it helped me to see again that really in every society, religious or not, Christian, post-Christian, not Christian at all, every society sets up external and internal, explicit and implicit norms and rules and laws about what is good and what is right. Often to live up to those standards is good in and of itself. And of course you signal to yourself and to others that you're good. Reusable bags. Definitely good in and of themselves. Also a visible marker that lets us know that we're good and others know that we're doing the good thing. Once I had my bag, in a very odd way, I felt in, protected from judgment. I felt right. In Jesus' time, there were any of number of religious laws that, that were to be kept, that signaled to oneself and to others they were good. They were right. They, they were right with God. And, 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 and these laws were most definitely good in and of themselves and absolutely remain so because these are the very laws of God. And some of the most prominent ones you just heard, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not divorce, do not swear falsely. If, if you haven't killed or 
cheated on your spouse or divorced, if you've sort of kept the law, the standard as all can sort of plainly see when they look at your life, well, you're good, you're in, you're protected from judgment. You're right. And Jesus doesn't dispute the importance of, of seeking to keep these as such. But right off the bat, in his teaching of the new disciples, Jesus wants to be clear that keeping just sort of these external standards of perfection, doing all the right things, that's not salt and light. That's not a people who bring out the flavor, who preserve life, who illumine this world with truth and beauty, grace, love. And Jesus starts to make that point clearly by taking to task some of the most prominent standards and laws. And and there's a lot there in the verses we covered. We'll not be able to get to all of it today, but just sort of summarily. You've heard it said, you shall not murder, which is to say you've heard the standard, you've heard the law, you've heard the good thing. But I say to you, and Jesus is employing a common rabbinic technique where you you take the standard, the marker, the law that everyone knows, and and then you go to deepen or nuance or intensify the meaning. You've heard it said, I say to you, if you harbor ongoing anger with a brother or sister, you're liable to judgment. If you insult a brother or sister, you're liable before the religious counselor. If you say you fool, if you name call, if you gossip, if you cast aspersions, if you slander, you're liable to the hellfire of judgment. Which is to say, quite starkly, there's no sort of in or safety Certainly no salt or light being known in your life just because you have not murdered. He goes on, I know you've heard it said, you've heard the law, you've heard the standard, you've heard what's good, you shall not commit adultery. But I, but I say that everyone who looks at a woman with lust, with, with the intent of using for pleasure, for, for objectifying, has, has already committed adultery. He continues in this sort of same vein. it's been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce. And Jesus is quoting a permission that exists in Scripture uh, in the law for a man to divorce his wife. They can use this certificate. They can obtain one that proves they're doing a legal thing, an acceptable thing. And the certificate had become this easy way for men to divorce a woman without cause, without any personal repercussions, which was happening. But when that happened... The woman was still considered an adulterer for the divorce, even if nothing happened to the man. And, and because of how connected women were in that time for, uh, to men, and, and, and they basically found their, their, their livelihood and their food and their income and all the rest from the man, uh, to be divorced was likely to be impoverished and, and ruined. The, the, the divorce process was deeply unjust. But I say to you, anyone who divorces his wife, except on ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And let me quote from the message translation of this verse, as I think it helps us hear the full meaning a bit better. If you, man, divorce your wife, and you're kind of used to getting away with it because you got the certificate and you're fine, uh, you're responsible for making her an adulteress. And if you, men marry such a divorced adulteress, you're automatically an adulterer too. He's trying to push deeper and saying, there's none of this I get away sort of free pass because I've got the the certificate. And then finally in today's reading, you've heard it said in those ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you've made to the Lord. And I'm saying don't swear by heaven or earth or by your head. Yes, yes. No, no. 
In Jesus' time, people agreed, you should, you should just keep your oaths, your promises, sure. But there was this widespread practice of swearing by something else. And an oath was more or less binding based on what you swore by. So say you swear to do something, and I swear by my chicken, I will do it. Well, that comes with less force than if you swore by your child's grave or by heaven itself. And Jesus is like, gosh, stop keeping with the oath-keeping games that help you justify all of your failed promises because you just swore by something lesser. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, that is a very, very, very quick overview. There's a lot more there. But at first glance, this may seem sort of like a hodgepodge of topics Jesus is covering. Murder, adultery, divorce, oath-keeping. But they have a couple things, at least a couple things in common. One is the keeping the letter of the law with each of these uh, entails a good and usually at least somewhat attainable external standard. No murder, no adultery, no divorce, and, and except if I have the legal papers, I'm still good, and, and don't, don't swear falsely. These all kind of go in the moral grocery bag you want to be carrying around as a religious person in Jesus' day that could tell yourself and tell others you're good, and you're good with God. The other commonality among these four is that for Jesus, all it takes for each of these laws to be broken it's just the slightest of breaks or distance in a relationship. Think about it. Anger. Anger is held onto and simmers and turns into name-calling or resentment or, or, or gossip where there's some sort of relational break or distrust or hurt or lack of forgiveness. Do not murder is broken the moment of relational break or distance. Lust creates distance. Lust is not about connecting a human heart to a human heart. It is about objectifying, about keeping that person at a, desist, at a distance, desiring them only for selfish pleasure on one's own terms with no mutual love. Do not commit adultery is broken the moment of relational distance when human-to-human -human connection becomes human-to-object connection. Divorce, it is the result of some kind of distance, emotionally, physically, in terms of trust. And Jesus' words here remind us that men in particular could so easily be distanced from feeling and experiencing and knowing what it was like to be a woman divorced in that culture with no recourse. And oath swearing, think about that. People only swear oaths when there's a distance or break in the relationship. We say things like, I promise I'll be there. Look, I'm, I'm putting it in my calendar. I swear on my father's grave, I will do it. Cross my heart. And think about the times we add that little extra bit of pious gravitas language to our promise. Isn't it in those relationships where there's at least a smallest bit of mistrust or uncertainty about the relationship. There's some kind of distance in the relationship where we're just saying, yes, I'll be there, won't do it. And so we, we just intuit the need to add this extra underscoring of pious promise that it's going to happen. It's believable. The point is, for Jesus, all it takes to fail these standards is a relational break, fracture, or distance of some sort. 
Now that is a strange thing for Jesus to begin his discourse on what makes for salt and light of the world. With so many problems, so many needs in this world, and we need some good salt, we need some vitalizing light. But maybe we see the truth more clearly if we put it the opposite way. For Jesus and his kingdom, healthy relationships are everything. What makes people uniquely flavorful as salt, uniquely luminous as light, is the quality and love of their relationships. Jesus could care less about any standard we might put out there, any programs we might try and do, any statements we might try and make, any big endeavor we might go and pursue. Jesus could care less about all the external things if we are not growing an honest, open, vulnerable relationship. Forgiving, upbuilding, encouraging, serving one another relationship. Salt loses its saltiness, light gets hidden. The moment relationships break, fracture, become cold, or the name-calling or the gossip starts, or the other becomes an object, or the need to add extra oaths becomes apparent to make promises believable. Of course, who among us does not have some relationships with distance? Some their fault, some our fault, some everyone's fault. Who among us does not have relationships fractured by anger and name-calling? Relationships cracked or broken by lusts or divorce or broken promises. If you scratch the surface of the health of our relationships, if that's where Jesus starts to search the church concerning salt and light, who among us has any remaining salt or light? Who among us can stand? I'm given hope when I think of Jesus three years after the Sermon on the Mount. He endures an unjust trial and he's placed upon a cross where he receives, receives the full brunt of the people's anger and murder. He's shamed with name-calling. He's treated as an object by the soldiers who take his clothes and prod him with a spear. His disciples, they break their promise to follow him no matter what as they betray him and they deny him. On the cross, Jesus experiences the fullness of all that Jesus preaches against right here in Matthew 5. Anger, objectifying, breaking promises, murder. And what is his word unto people who do such things? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Those are the words he cries from the cross as he takes the fullness of all that into his very being. Forgiveness is the final and full word of Jesus upon his broken people. In fact, when Jesus rises from the grave three days later after the crucifixion, he doesn't pull away and shun his disciples who failed him and hurt him so. In fact, he goes to be among them. You may remember he even cooks a meal to be with them. He draws, them, he draws near to them to make the forgiveness and even reconciliation complete. This is how Jesus responds to failure. 
In fact, what Jesus does is not so different from what he commends to us in his sermon. You may remember on the portion about anger. So when you're offering a gift at the altar and you're in the service of worship, if you remember a brother or sister has something against you, leave it there. Go first and be reconciled to your brother or sister. Then come back and offer the gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. And really the Greek there is more appropriately translated. Get on good and friendly terms with your accuser. What he's saying is, wherever there is relational distance, a hurt, an anger, a break, or a failing, and you realize that, go immediately toward, not away, toward that person. So vital are relationships in my kingdom. Leave even the church and go and forgive as you've been forgiven. Get on good and friendly terms, even. Show forth kindness, even. Respect, even. Possibly delight one day. I mentioned the good folks of Asheville, North Carolina, care deeply about the environment, and, and so they really have some great outdoor camps for children. Leo attended one called Camp Farmstead. It's located on a small farm in the beautiful mountains of Asheville. He spent a couple weeks learning about seeds and plants and insects and butterflies. He held chickens and bunnies. He spent the days walking with his teachers and classmates along inside the woods in the creek, and he just found so much joy walking in that muddy, rocky creek and picking up the rocks and examining them and then throwing them and squealing as he watched water ripple. He then crouched down alongside the dirt, and he could spend minutes on end letting his fingers feel through the dirt and explore He'd pick up half-dead leaves and he'd make them dance in his hands and he'd feel the texture and he'd tell people about the color. His joy when he drew near to creation made me see where I think Jesus is ultimately aiming in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. It is absolutely good to use reusable grocery bags. It's absolutely good, not to murder, commit adultery, absolutely good, not to harbor anger or or lust, but Jesus' aim is not simply avoid that, avoid this, do this. His aim is, is really fundamentally the opposite, to draw people into proximity and relationship to where it's not just anger that's avoided, but kindness and patience and love that is treasured and slowly appreciated. Not simply that lust be avoided, but but growing closer that, that, that in time mutual respect and honoring starts to flourish. Because you've drawn near an appreciative love. Not only that divorce is avoided, but marriages grow in grace and love and joy in the small moments and the ripple of water. Not only are promises kept, that's a good thing, but but people start to even go above and beyond and desire to to do even more than they promise, simply to show forth a generous love. For Jesus, salt and light is entirely about the quality of our relationships. Time well spent has nothing to do with our attentiveness to standards, but our attentiveness to relationships. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my salt and light disciples. 
if you love one another. Amen. We turn now to our hymn, Be Thou My Vision, an appropriate prayer as we seek to put our hearts once more, not on standards and what others want or expect or need, but simply on God who is love, and that this God might be our vision in all that we say and do. Let us stand. You are listening to the live broadcast of a worship service at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. You have just heard this morning's sermon entitled, The Heart of the Matter, which was delivered by Rev. Dr. Robert Holm Lippert. The congregation will now join in singing, Be Thou My Vision, which is number 303 in the hymn book. remain standing, confessing as one forgiven body what it is that we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, 
the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. We join now in the prayers of the people, and for this particular prayer, I'm, I'm really going to let the, the Beatitudes, the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 that we, that we read together in the call to worship, really let that be the framework for this particular prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks that your blessing, your attentive favor falls upon this world and upon our lives not because we deserve it, but simply because that is the nature of your love. And we give thanks that your blessing falls especially upon those named at the outset of your Sermon on the Mount. The poor in spirit. We ask that those brought low this day in spirit or materially, they would know your attentive favor and sustenance, and strength. Those who mourn, we ask that those who grieve the loss of life, the diagnosis, the loss of job, the loss of relationship, the loss of what once was. For those who grieve, may they know your attentive favor, and comfort, and abiding presence. Those who are meek, we ask that those who many do not notice, those who serve quietly and humbly, those who go overlooked and underappreciated, they would know this day your attentive favor and encouragement and rejoicing and embrace. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we pray for those who ache this day in the core of their soul. Those who ache for a more just world, who ache for the plight of homelessness and hunger in a society torn and tattered by mistrust and broken promises. Those who ache for your church to truly, fully be the visible, loving hands and feet and voice of you. Those who ache in their bellies for righteousness to be made known, may they know your attentive favor, your grace, your righteousness poured out in abundance in them, through them. For those who are merciful, for those who extend undeserved kindness and love in their marriage or their friendship, or to an enemy, may they know your attentive favor and mercy themselves. Those who are pure in heart, who seek to keep their vision from being clouded by the lust for power, for money, for people, for those whose deepest ache is, be thou my vision. May they know your attentive favor and be shown time and again your presence, your guidance, your glory, your way. For those who are peacemakers, those who do not sit idly watching the violence and pain, but actively seek another way against gun violence, another way against abuse, another way against war. Those seeking to practice and teach forgiveness, reconciliation, Officers and military seeking to keep 
peace, promote peace, those seeking to enact just and peacekeeping laws, those with a vision of swords turned to plowshares, may they know your attentive favor and the deep knowledge that amid their struggle they are your children. And for those persecuted because of you, those who endure ridicule or scorn or endure the threat of their life or their safety, may they know your attentive favor and your courage and your provision and your love poured out upon them and through them, that even under great duress they might know the gift of your grace in them and even ministering through them. We offer all of this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In response to God's great mercy and forgiving grace, we offer ourselves, we, we consider how God is calling part of that offering to involve uh, our stewardship of our financial resources in this part of the service. As you consider that, let me just highlight a, a couple different announcements, different ways you can, you can step forward as uh, the people of Jesus Christ uh, in, in the life of this church in the coming um, couple weeks. Wednesday night suppers are back. We're so grateful for that unique fellowship in our fellowship hall. And uh, just so you know, the, I think the menu in your bulletin is last week's. If you're coming this week, uh, you'll get the updated one in your email on Tuesday. Uh, but it's grilled marinated chicken and vegetables, and we've got a fruit and cheese platter and, and a couple other delicious things. So hope you can make that. I just mentioned the Tuesday email. Every, every Tuesday we have a covenant connection, we call it, that goes out um, to any and all who sign up for the email newsletter so that you can just know what's going on in the church in a regular way. If for some reason you're here pretty regularly, or you're even a member, and, and, and we've lost your email address, or you've got a new one, or it's just not on there, you're not getting a Tuesday email Put that on your communication card today. We'll make sure that you are getting the Tuesday email that goes out. Uh, parents' Night Out, that's coming up this Saturday night. So parents, get in that RSVP by Wednesday. You can even RSVP on your communication card if you haven't done it already. Uh, looking a little further on, uh, or actually the same day, Saturday, that earlier that morning, Shalom Farms has the next outing. You can read about the details under the mission section. And... In the month of October, the 86th annual Men's Oyster Roast will be happening on Saturday, October 19th. A lot of you have been part of that. If you haven't, um, please check out the details, but that's coming October 19th. We'd love to have you. Otherwise, I mentioned the communication cards now a couple times. If nothing else, just let us know you're here as the offering plate comes around. You can put it in there, uh, and you can offer uh, prayer requests as well on that card if those are on your heart this day. Give now as you're led.
our God who gives and our God who takes away. I give you thanks that through it all you are abundantly faithful. We offer this our thanks and ask that you use this to your good and loving purposes in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
As always, immediately after this service, you are invited just down the hallway this direction to our social room for refreshments and time to connect or reconnect, and look forward to seeing you there. It's all about relationships, and we have a God in Jesus Christ who has known the worst of our anger, our objectifying, our sacred oath-breaking, our murder. And his final word is, Father, forgive them. And then he looks at his people and said, go and love as I have loved you. By this, the world will know you are my salt and light disciples. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit hold you and keep you and empower you this day. And always, amen.
For the past hour, you have been listening to the worship service at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia. Please join us again next Sunday through our radio ministry or in our sanctuary at 1627 Monument Avenue. You're also welcome to join us each Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. for Wednesday night supper. Your announcer today has been John Harris and the engineer was Steve Kemp. This service streams live and can be accessed through the Grace Covenant website, which is grace-covenant.org. We now return you to Christian Talk Radio on WLES, 590 on your AM dial and 97.7 on your FM dial.